Praise God for the body of Christ. And I really appreciated um, Bill, our worship pastor, um, taking the time to put that um, song back together for us to remind us of our families. Uh, We did have our outdoor service last week where we were able to see each other or some of each other uh, again. Uh, But there's a lot of us that haven't been able to see each other for quite a long time and we do miss each other. And I just want to mention to you also how much I appreciate your patience as we continue to, to, you know, to move through this time, trying to figure out the best way to be together and all those kind of things. And, and while we're still doing it like we're doing it, I just want to encourage you again to be a part of some of the smaller groups that are taking place um, on Zoom and on conference call and things like that, because it is really important for us to see each other as well as know about each other or even talk or text each other. So seeing each other, I think, helps a lot. So uh, please take advantage of those. If you haven't been a part of one of the classes yet, um, it's not too late to, to jump in, even though it, it certainly feels a little bit strange um, coming into a group that you don't know very well um, with your picture, your, your, you know, with a camera shot of you uh, in the group. I know it's, it's a little bit unusual, but, but it's really good for us. It's healthy for us, and so we hope that you'll use those opportunities. And, of course, take advantage of the opportunities, if you can, to come to, to the different live things that we do in person. Um, that, that can be helpful as well, and we'll talk about some more of those later. But this time, as that song also encouraged us to pray, uh, let's look to God's Word uh, concerning prayer. Uh, this morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to start reading this morning in, in 1 Samuel 12 with verse 19. 1 Samuel twelve nineteen. And before I read this passage, let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all of your word. Thank you for giving us lessons from your people that last all the way through all of our experiences so that we always have a story to refer to, a lesson to go back to, to help us understand how we can endure, how we can survive, how we can be fruitful in our lives right now, no matter what the circumstances that we face. Even though the old stories aren't the exact circumstances that we experience, they relate to these experiences so well that you've given us everything that we need to make wise decisions concerning the days in which we live. Father, you know the, the turmoil of our nation right now. The fear that continues because of the kind of revival of the COVID virus. The confusion that that brings, the different messages that we hear from medical and, and um, scientific communities um, that, that really confuse us to, to where we don't know exactly what to do. Then there's also the, the violence that's going on in our country and the, and the strong disagreements on, on political issues and on racial issues and other social issues. Uh, so much going on right now and so much um, hatred, um, so much strife. And we thank you that we come together as the body of Christ uh, in your peace. And we thank you for the way your word instructs us 
in how to deal with and relate to and respond to all of the current issues uh, that we're dealing with. And we thank you this morning for the example of the judge and the prophet named Samuel. And we pray that you would give us a nugget from his life that will help us be the people that you want us to be during this time in 2020. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. How can we have a 2020 vision about how to handle life in 2020? That's what we want to look at this morning again as we've been doing that uh, for a number of months, even before we knew the full extent of how confusing and how crazy 2020 uh, was going to be. Samuel um, was the last of the judges. You might remember from, your, uh, from reading the Old Testament, and if you have never read the Old Testament, let me encourage you to do so. Uh, the, the Old Testament is the basis of all New Testament truth, and so I want to encourage you to, to become familiar, if you haven't been, um, be familiar with the Old Testament. But one of the things, uh, the way God had organized things when he called his people Israel out of the land of slavery in Egypt, he decided that he wasn't going to give them a king, but that he was going to organize them um, with judges um, to lead them. He didn't want them to have kings like other countries because he wanted the children of Israel to directly praise him and directly honor him and not go through someone else. He just wanted the judges to, to serve as, as mediators, uh, to help them out with the, their disputes, and, and to give them leadership. And Samuel was, the la- Samuel was the last of those judges because the people got tired of doing it God's way. The people got tired of having judges instead of kings. They looked around at the other nations around them and said, those guys have kings, we want a king too. We want a king to lead us into battle. We want a king to protect us. We want a king to take care of us. We, we want a king that we can, that we can hold up and that, and that can unify us. And so Samuel now makes a comment about their desire to have a king and the fact that God gave them a king because Saul now has been anointed uh, to be the king over Israel. So, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 19. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. For we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. Be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will be swept away. Now this is, 
the story of Israel. And the story of Israel is unique. It's, it's a little bit different than the story of the United States. It's a little bit different than the story of any other country because no other country, no other particular people group other than the Hebrews who became the nation of Israel, they're the only ones that God chose as a nation, as a people group to be his people. So they're unique in that way. And there are many promises in God's word that are unique to Israel. He makes the promise to Israel specifically. Now, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have the advantage that we've been grafted in to the people of God. He makes us the children of God, even though we have maybe don't have any Jewish um, heritage, even though we don't have any bloodlines um, that, are, that are Hebrew at all. Those of us that put our trust in Christ are grafted in to the children of God, even Even the people of Israel aren't all part of the children of God. If they don't have faith, as you see here, if they persist in doing evil, they're going to be swept away. Well, that happened to them. The individuals within Israel that didn't have faith, they were still a part of the the people of God in a general sense, but in an individual specific sense, they weren't true Israel. It's only the people who have faith in God in Israel that are really truly Israel. And those of us that have put our trust in Christ as Gentiles, we also then are engrafted into that nation. So the things that are told to Israel, we can take to heart as the body of Christ. It's not exactly the same, but lots of the principles that he, that he, that he gives to Israel, we can take to heart as our own, as members of the body of Christ. Now, the thing that I want us to look at specifically this morning is Samuel's response as the last judge in giving encouragement to the children of Israel who have sinned gravely against God in many ways, but in particular in this account, they've sinned by asking for a king. They weren't satisfied with God's way, with God's provision. And I want us to look at Samuel's response. Because we live in a a time right now in the United States where many people within the church, many people in the body of Christ, are becoming dissatisfied with God's way. And I want you to, be, I want you to, to listen to many of your Christian friends these days. I want you to pay close attention to the way that they talk about the Word of God. I want you to understand that many within the church in the United States today are leaving God's way. They're leaving the Bible. They're following a group of teachers who are telling them that all of the scripture isn't important. That the parts of scripture that don't go along with our social sensitivities of this current era, that those passages that don't agree with those things, that those parts of scripture can be forgotten. Those parts of scripture can be you know, can, can be let go. They don't have to be paid attention to. You don't have to form your life after those things. But just pick the parts of Scripture that talk specifically about, specifically about Jesus, about how he died on the cross for our sins, about how he rose again from the dead, and how he gives life to everybody who, who believes in him. But those parts that get specific about some of the social structures within our society that disagree with those things, don't worry about those things. I want you to listen to your friends and hear them begin to say some of these things. And then I want you to think about this crisis that Israel was in. And understand that God is not pleased when we reject his way. 
But Samuel, even though he, he probably had tremendously hurt feelings, here he was, the last judge, and the people are saying, we're tired of the judges. Ooh, that, that probably hit him pretty hard. He must have thought, man, I'm a, I must be a pretty rotten judge. You know, if, if the people don't like me enough that, they, that they're, they're going to call out to God for, for something he's even specifically said he didn't want to do. Could have taken it personally. But Samuel, being the faithful, God, um, faithful um, man of God that he was, Samuel decided not to let his hurt feelings overcome his responsibility. And so he told them, even though you've done this evil, and you've used me in the process because I'm the one that has asked God for you, you know, to do this thing. He said, I am not going to sin against God like you just did. I'm not going to sin against God by failing to pray for you. I am going to pray for you. And I want us, as the people of God, to identify with Samuel this morning because we're people who still believe all of the Bible, who still believe that even the parts that are difficult to understand are worthy of study and are worthy of figuring out and are worthy of of digging into so that we can know how to respond to all of these things that are going on around us, that we're, we're among those who aren't afraid of the truth of God's word, even though it does go contrary to much of what our society does, even much of what our Christian society does, our subculture, that we have to stand up against those things and and, and understand that the, the whole church is going a different direction in many senses, in many cases, than we are. And I want us, like Samuel, to commit ourselves, as he did, to pray for the church in America, the evangelical church in America, and to pray for our country, even the, the parts of it that aren't part of the body of Christ, that we will turn, even though we're in so much disagreement about what right and wrong is, that God will reveal to the hearts of those that are in leadership of our country, whether Christian or, uns- or unsaved alike, and that he will reveal to the hearts of those who are believers in the church that are, that are going away from God's word, that he will bring them back to belief and commitment to the written word of God that he's given us, the prophets in the Old Testament, the apostles and their close associates, in the New Testament, that, that all of God's church would recommit themselves to the truth of God's word. I want us to be a church that will be like Samuel and commit ourselves to pray during these most critical days and hours that we would commit ourselves to pray. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. It's a passage that we've looked at a few times in, in these um, last few months. First Peter chapter 2. There's a great description of us. We talked about it last week uh, on our 4th of July. It was actually on the 5th, but on our 4th of July weekend. I want us to look at it again. A different aspect of it. The apostle Peter describes believers in Christ like this. But you are a chosen people. That sounds very much like Israel. 
Israel was the chosen nation. Well, those of us who are in Christ, we're now, regardless of our nationality, regardless of our language, we're all part of a people. We're a chosen people. It says, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's what I looked at last week. Not the United States, but the people of God are a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Great descriptions of the body of Christ. Great descriptions of individuals within the body of Christ. We are the children of God, and corporately, we are the people of God. But I want us to look at one particular phrase that I think relates to exactly what Samuel was doing in 1 Samuel chapter 12, at that critical hour in the, in the life of the nation of Israel. The Apostle Peter calls us, as believers in Christ, as the body of Christ, he calls us a royal priesthood. Now I want you to think about yourself right now. Do you understand what it means for you as a believer in Jesus, to be a royal priest. And that, that, that terminology is completely contrary to all of our experience. First of us, first of all, in evangelical churches, we don't, in most evangelical churches, there are some, but most evangelical churches, and, and remember when I used the, the, the phrase evangelical church, that's the church that still believes in all of the Bible believes this is the word of God, all of it. And it's our responsibility to understand it, to figure it out, and to, and to share it with others. That's what the evangelical church is. And that's different denominations. We're, we're part of a, a denomination or a, a group of churches called the Southern Baptist Convention. Most Southern Baptist churches would fit in the, in the classification of evangelical. Again, not every church does, but most would. But there are many other denominations, many Presbyterian denominations that would fit under that classification. Many Church of, of God um, denominations would, would fall under that classification. There, there are many. Um, some Methodist churches would fall under that. There, there are just different ones. And then many independent churches would, would fall under that. But as we think about churches that believe in the Word of God, evangelical churches, we don't have priests. We have pastors. We have elders, you know, we have deacons, we have other kinds of leaders, but we don't have priests because when Jesus came and the, 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 the Old Testament in, in Israel, they had priests. When Jesus came, he came as the fulfillment of all of what the Old Testament priests did. He came as the ultimate representative of man before God, because that's what a priest is. A priest is a mediator. It's an, uh, someone who stands between. And so in, in our evangelical churches, we don't have priests because we believe that Jesus is the great high priest and that every, other belie- every believer in him then becomes a priest. We refer to that sometimes as the priesthood of believers. 
That means that every person who believes in Jesus can go directly to Jesus as he represents us before God. We don't need another human being standing between us. But in this phrase, royal priest, that's where that, one of the places that that comes from, the priesthood of all believers. But understand that as priests, through Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity and responsibility to pray for one another. We don't need a, we don't need a human priest to go to to confess to. We go directly to Jesus to pray to and to confess to. But we have the opportunity and responsibility as royal priests under God to pray for each other and even beyond our smaller circle to pray for our church and to pray for our country. That's what Samuel is doing. Now he mentions here that we're royal priests. That's an important distinction as well. In the United States, we don't have royalty. That was a decision that that our country made in its founding. Many people, after the Revolutionary War was fought and and, and won, many people in the young nation of the United States, they wanted George Washington to be our king. That that was a strong desire. There was a great movement for that. Thankfully, he rejected the idea and stuck with what ended up becoming our Constitution in in its development, stuck with that, and, and we never had a king. So we don't have royalty in the United States. Royalty started in Israel during this time when Samuel was was ministering, when they called for a king. That's when royalty came into Israel. But royalty, in God's way, was supposed to be he was the king. That's the way it was before before Saul came on the scene. He was the king. So there wasn't any royalty in that sense. But then after Saul, then there became royalty within Israel. Well, there's royalty among us because all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, are children of God. That's what John meant when he said, speaking about Jesus, he said, everybody who received him, to those who believed on his name in John 1, he said, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, if we're children of God, we're royalty. And we have a responsibility as these children of God to serve as priests. And so right now, I think there is a great opportunity and a great responsibility for us to serve as the royal priests for the church in the United States and for our country. Our country and our church is flailing. We are struggling with right and wrong. We're struggling with doing the things that we ought to do and instead doing the things that we shouldn't do. I mentioned a few weeks ago when the, when, when the concept of defunding the police you know, started, started entering into our, our political scene. And, and since then, it's actually started to happen. And we, and we can look clearly, directly into Scripture and understand that God ordained countries to have police. Now, he didn't get, doesn't get specific on how much funding and all that kind of stuff goes. But, but the, the concept of police is important in any country. That's how God put it together. We learn that from the word of God. But we see in our country, people don't care. They're upset with what, the way some police operate and some police act. And so they say, let's just throw the whole thing out. That's just one example. We've, 
we are making so many moral and social decisions as a country and as churches that are contrary to God's word and contrary to the law that God has written on our hearts. That's important to remember too. It's not just the things that are contrary to scripture. It's contrary to the things of what we call nature. It's contrary to the way that God has made us and the way that we understand things. We're going against those things and we have an opportunity. And I mentioned it last week. We have the opportunity to vote. That's important. Take that seriously. But way more important than that, we have the opportunity and responsibility to pray. We need to pray like we've never prayed before. Lots of commentators think that what's happening right now in our country, especially as it leads up to an election, are some of the most important days in the history of our nation. Going back to the revolutionary times, going back to the War of 1812, which was kind of the second revolution, and then also going back to the Civil War. A lot of people are putting our current situations in that category of importance to our country. And also, I think, in importance to the church in the United States of America. And so I think as we listen to all different kinds of opinions and all different kinds of, of, of ideas on how we can interact with all of these different demands being made of us and all those kind of things, and, and all that's very confusing. One thing that we don't need to be confused about, we have the opportunity right now and the responsibility to pray. We need to pray. Now, I could tell you about prayer meeting, and I will. We have it every week. We praise God for the first part of it, and then we pray for the second part of it. I want to encourage you. If you haven't been a part of that, become a part of it. It's important for us to pray together. It's not the only way that we pray, but it's important for us to pray together. I want to encourage you at least sometimes come to be a part of our prayer meeting as we pray for our country. It's a, it's a great experience to pray together. There's power in prayer together. God tells us. He says when two or three gather together in his name, you know, that, that he accomplishes great things. He, he talks about in James the, the, the fervent prayer of righteous men is, is a powerful thing. And so let's come together and pray. But whether you come to prayer meeting or not, again, please come. Pray. Pray as a family for the things of our country, for the things of our church, not just our local church. Certainly pray for our local church, but let's pray for the larger church. The, the evangelical churches that are, that are struggling with how to respond to all of these new social demands in light of God's word. It's especially becoming more and more difficult to do that as we continue to entertain this idea of hate speech and hate crimes. Georgia just implemented that yeah, in, in the latest legislative session. And so it's, it's very, it, it becomes very difficult as a church to stand up for things that God tells us to stand up for or to stand against certain things that he tells us to stand against when we could be accused of hate crimes for doing so. It makes it very difficult. But that doesn't stop us from having the responsibility to do so. It reminds us of the critical nature of this hour to pray. And so as Samuel said, I will not sin against God by failing to pray for you. Let's us not sin against God by failing to pray for the church in the United States right now. We need to be a strong beacon of light 
for our nation, not a confused group of people who don't know right from wrong. We need to be a strong, bright light, letting people know where they can turn for the answers to the questions that this time in our lives, that this time in our country's life call to us, they bring to us. These are difficult questions, and God has the answers in his word. We need to pray that people will start turning to God's word, turning to God's people to find out the answers to the questions that they have. That's going to take God working in their hearts. And he does that most often in answer to the prayers of his people. And so commit yourselves today as children of God, as royal priests, to join with Samuel as he prayed for his country, to pray for our country, the church in our country, and our country as a whole. We need to pray for a great awakening among the lost people of the United States. Instead of getting mad at what we see people do, you know, doing in our streets, instead of getting so mad about it, let's let it break our hearts and pray for them because they don't know what they're doing because they haven't had the light turned on in their minds yet to understand the truth. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that God will break through into their hearts and minds so that they can understand his truth and begin to live that out as opposed to what they're doing right now. Let's pray for our government in that same way. Let's pray for, for people that we know that don't know Christ. Let's pray that God will open their eyes so they can begin to understand the things that he has created that, that point to him, and then also begin to remember and to recollect the things that they've been told about the word of God, the things that they've been told by people like us about Jesus Christ and what he came to do and what he did. And, and how effective he is in, in transforming lives, that he could even transform theirs. Let's pray that they'll remember that they've heard those things. Or, if they haven't heard those things, that God would bring them into contact with those who would be sharing those things, even people like us. Because while we're praying, we certainly also need to be talking to people about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, about our confidence in his word about our confidence even in confusing days, even in in days of illness and sickness like the COVID virus has brought us, that we still have confidence. We have have no fear. Even even those of us who are in vulnerable groups, we can let them know, yeah, it's kind of scary to be in a vulnerable group, but I'm not afraid to die because I know exactly what's going to happen to me the moment I leave this world. The moment I breathe my last breath, as we were singing this morning about going into the land of glory, we can sing a song like that. Because we have ultimate hope. The worst thing that people fear, we don't have to be afraid of because we're going to enter immediately into the presence of God. People need to hear that from us. But even before they hear it from us, we need to pray that God will open their eyes, open their hearts, so that they'll be responsive, so that they'll be interested, so that they'll start being able to believe. They need God at work in their lives. And so let's commit ourselves today to pray for this awakening among the lost in our country. Now, remember, it may not be very long to where we can get in trouble for even using the word lost. Because that sounds like a, a negative term referring to other people. All it is is just saying what it is. People who don't know Jesus are lost in respect 
to eternity. They're lost in respect to purpose because they still haven't connected to Almighty God who gives us life, who gives us eternal life, who gives us direction, who gives us purpose. So that's, that's why we use a phrase like that. It's a very scriptural phrase because it's descriptive of what a person is going through when they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't use it in a negative, ten, in a negative sense. We don't use it in a judgmental sense. We use it in a scriptural sense, in a, in a descriptive sense, to help people understand that there is lost and there's found. And the found are only found because they have found who God is in his scripture. As he's been revealed to us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those of us, as we sing in Amazing Grace, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Those of us who have put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're found now. We found him, he's found us. And now we have purpose in living. Now we have, we have value that will last for eternity. We're not just thinking about this life, but we're thinking about eternal life as well. And the things that we can do to prepare for the rewards that God has promised all who serve him. There's lots of, lots of things that, that are wrapped up into these words. Let's use these words. Let's let people know what God says about things so that they can begin to contemplate them like they never have as we pray for this awakening. But let's also, as we pray for the awakening among the lost, let's also pray for a revival among the found. Let's pray for that revival. Let's pray for God's people in Midway Community Church and all the other evangelical churches of our nation. Let's pray that people will begin to take God's word seriously. Let's pray that people will begin to take their faith in Jesus Christ seriously, not just about taking care of things for eternal life by being forgiven of their sins, although that's where it begins, but also to commit themselves to live for the glory of God. That's what Samuel's doing. Samuel wasn't getting anything out of praying for those people. They just rejected him. He could have, he could have just taken his ball and gone home. You know, like the little kid that, that gets mad at the, his friends when they're playing. He said, okay, you don't want to play like me, then I'll take my ball and, and get it. Samuel could have just left, but he didn't. He prayed for the people of God. And that's what we need to do. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for a revival among the lost. But, among the lost. but let's also pray or excuse me, an awakening among the lost, but let's also pray for revival among God's people, that we would take him seriously, that we would live our lives for his glory, that we would shine as a bright light in a very, very dark place right now. That's the, that's the, the thing that the church needs. It needs to begin to follow God again. It needs to again commit itself to the word of God. And we as individuals need to do that ourselves. And so, Midway Community Church, as we pray, let's make sure that we're informed, that we know how to pray, that we know the things that we ought to be praying about. The Word of God is full of that. And so commit yourselves as we commit to pray to stay in the Word of God. Old and New Testament, be reading, be studying, be discussing, ask questions, whatever the case may be. Be in the Word so that you know how to pray. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a blessing to be royal priests. What a responsibility. What an opportunity. It's been a long time since our country has been so confused and so divided, so scared. We're living during this time. We're living in 2020. 
we're living in a, in a, in a year that's going to be talked about for hundreds of years, unless you come back sooner. And as we sang earlier, we'd be all for that right now. But we also know that the only reason you haven't come back is because you know there are still, there is at least one more person and maybe many who are still going to put their trust in Jesus. And you're waiting to send Jesus back until that last person has come to Christ. And so while we wait, Father, help us to pray. Help us to lift up our lost friends and nation, that many would come to faith in Christ during these confusing, dark days. And help us to pray for our church and for the churches of America, that there would be a revival among us, that we would begin again to be more concerned about your word, more concerned about your truth, more concerned about eternity than about ourselves, than about our money, than about our positions, than about our fame, than about our pleasure and our leisure. Help us to commit ourselves in that way, but also to pray for that revival to, to spread throughout the church in our country and around the world. And Father, help us to pray for our friends, our family members. Help us to realize that, that conversation can help, but nothing helps without prayer. Nothing helps without you going before us and working in their hearts and minds, drawing them and, and, and giving them understanding, giving them desire, helping them overcome the things of the flesh, the things of, of our sin nature. So we pray that you would help us to pray. Help us to realize how, how honored you are when we humble ourselves and obey you in prayer. Father, we thank you for a church that prays. We thank you for friends here at Midway who get together and pray. And I pray that you would work in all of our hearts to draw us to that time, whether in our classes or in our prayer meeting or other Bible studies, that we would pray together for these things as well. And so, Father, as we prayed last week over the 4th of July, 4th of July holiday, we pray again, God, bless America. Bless your church in America. And Father, bless us as your children to live up to the high calling of a royal priesthood. And Father, there may be some praying with me right now that would like to become a part of that royal priesthood. Help them understand that there isn't anything else for them to do that Jesus has done it what they need to do is trust him. Believe that he is sufficient for them, that what he has done is enough. And the moment they do that, they will be assured that they are yours forever, forgiven of their sins and given the gift of eternal life. Help them to do that this morning, to trust Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.